This week on WealthTrack, Baird Fund's five-star fund manager and president, Mary Ellen Stanek, on the rapidly expanding economy and changing market conditions. What are investors expecting from their bond positions, taxable or tax-exempt? They're expecting predictability. They're expecting consistency. They expect if the equity market and the markets get very volatile, that that will be where I can go for my mattress money. What they mean for bond investors is new this week on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. Times, they are a-changin'. With COVID vaccinations becoming widespread, savings rates high and consumers ready to spend, the economy is reopening and rebounding with gusto. First quarter GDP was up 6.4%, a remarkable bounce. Household income jumped a record 21.1% in March, fueled by government stimulus checks. The Federal Reserve recognizes the rebound, but says it is committed to keeping short-term interest rates at zero regardless. But long-term rates, reflecting the increase in activity, are rising. And the Fed is getting some desired results for its unprecedented easing policies. For the first time in a decade, inflation appears to be picking up. Meanwhile, the federal government is expanding fiscal stimulus at a record pace. Now, all of these developments are creating new opportunities and challenges for bond investors. Bond prices fall when interest rates rise and vice versa. After a 40-year bull market in bonds with interest rates declining to record lows, the bottom might finally have been reached after many false starts. How real is this uptick in rates? What does it mean for bond investors? Our guest this week is Mary Ellen Stanek, Chief Investment Officer of Baird Advisors and President of the Baird Funds, where she heads up the fixed income team overseeing $90 billion worth of bond investments. Stanek is also lead portfolio manager of two highly rated Baird bond funds. Baird Aggregate Bond Fund, whose institutional shares carry a five-star gold analyst rating, and Baird Core Plus Bond Fund, which has a four-star silver analyst designation. Both funds have beaten their benchmark since their inception in 2000 and in multiple years in between. Stanek, one of Barron's 100 most influential women in U.S. finance, was also one of five portfolio managers nominated for a 2020 Outstanding Portfolio Manager Award. Morningstar also recently named the Baird Funds the number one fund family out of the largest 150 fund families, saying, under the leadership of longtime CIO Mary Ellen Stanek, Baird's bond funds continue to impress, citing Baird's low fees, a well-resourced team, and risk-aware investment processes. In addition, Fortune has named Baird one of the 100 best companies to work for for 18 consecutive years. I began the interview by asking Stanek to assess the rapidly changing conditions and why she says we are in uncharted waters. First, the pandemic. We hadn't lived through a pandemic in 100 years years, basically. Um, We've never seen an economic force shutdown, a self-imposed one. And then with very rapid speed, the the development and the launch of these vaccinations. 
at a time where we also have had a lot of self-examination and social unrest in terms of issues around equity and inclusion, and a highly charged, highly divisive political environment. So roll ahead the clock now, and we are in the restart um, mode. And the upside surprise is that it is after massive monetary and fiscal support and an unleashing of several programs, uh, the restart actually appears to be going quicker and better than many had feared a year ago. So right. there is no playbook. It is unchartered. And when you get those kinds of dislocations, both in terms of a year, what was happening a year ago, and now the restart, there will be these dislocations, right? Whether it be your supply chain, your labor pools, where commodities are or aren't, how they're priced. And so some of this is transition. And, you know, we'll see how it all settles out once we get to what the new normal is going to be. Why is it important that, that you take into consideration the much bigger picture uh, as, uh, as an investment professional? I think of it as um, putting a puzzle together and trying to determine if there's missing puzzle pieces. And sometimes it's things you've never seen before, or other times it's something you've seen before. It's just got a new twist. And so what are those driving forces in terms of economic growth, inflation, monetary policy, fiscal policy, um, world and global issues that are going to impact the markets? And so that helps inform our, our risk view, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then we're very much bottom-up managers right. where, where we're all about building portfolios, bottom up, bond by bond, sector by sector, yield curve positioning. But the top down views help inform the risk posture and the overall portfolio construction. So how risky is this reset period? Economically, it looks like the economy's got good momentum and uh -huh. gaining momentum. And it looks like the United States is gonna lead the global growth. Some of it, um, no doubt, uh, motivated by all the stimulus money, mm -hmm. you know, and all the liquidity that's been thrown into the system, whether you look at the consumer, whether you look at business sectors, there's a lot of liquidity. And that is providing the underpinnings for a strong consumer. And on the business side, what appears to be particularly for established larger businesses, a pretty good environment. What's intrigued me is uh, in a, in a, in a multi-year period where the stock market has been making records every day that investors have still been gravitating you know, by a wide margin to bonds instead of to stocks. Can you explain that seeming disconnect? Yeah. We don't believe there really is a disconnect because one of the... One of the things to keep in mind, and it's the, you have the cyclical things that are happening, and the cycle is obviously lifting up right now, but you have the secular trends that are very significant and they do have a significant impact. And one of which is aging populations, not just here in the United States, but throughout the developed markets in most of the world. Right. And so with aging populations, they tend to start tilting 
investment portfolios for some income or some cash flow, um, whether it be to support lifestyle or just to take down some risk overall. So one of our theses for now many, many years has been as interest rates start normalizing and rising, it draws money into bonds um, as people are drawn into finding in search of income or yield. The right. other couple of things that we think are at play are some of the macro forces around long duration liabilities, so pension plans, life insurance companies. Those, those entities, those investors need yield and need longer uh, maturity yield. And so there is a strong demand out on the longer end of the curve by those investors, they are buying because they continue, pension plans continue to de-risk. And in the case of anybody with long-term liabilities like a life insurance company, they need to fund that, those liabilities with longer-term investments. And then you put the, the third point on and that's, you look at the world. Here's where the global picture is important because uh, the world is yield starved and the US yes has some of the highest yields in the world. And if you adjust for currency, actually the US continues to appear to be a very you know, compelling place at the Because the dollar had been strong up until recently, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. So you put all of that together and it, there continues to be, um, you know, as you suggest, demand for bonds. You know, where, the way we look at it is we need to continue to, for every unit of risk we take, are we being paid and to take that risk and make sure that we appropriately calibrate current valuation um, and make sure portfolio structures. We talk a lot about our all-weather strategies mm -hmm. and want to be positioned for investors over the long term and over full cycles. Right. So what is the risk spectrum now? Sure. So the macro risk spectrum, when you look at the fundamentals, they are improving, right? They're improving for the economy, the consumers, you know, very strong. If you look at underlying uh, data, it's actually quite strong for the consumer and, mm -hmm. and quite strong for many, many uh, sectors in corporate credit and for individual companies and, and improving. So the fundamentals are positive. But the key that investors have to incorporate is at what price? What's the right. valuation? And that's where valuations, in our opinion, have gotten pushed and are quite tight. Spreads are quite tight. That additional yield, you get paid to own you know, certain names or certain sectors or certain credits. Right, so, and again, the spread is an interest rate spread between you know, high quality like treasuries and, and everything else, the investment credit is, how good the credit is. Correct. Yeah. And so, you know, and those are valuation determinations that we incorporate into mm -hmm. our analysis. And so, so we like to say, you know, there's no such thing as a bad bond. It's, you know, it's bad prices or where the valuation is. And so we're in an environment where the fundamentals are good and improving for most. Right. But the price at which you're able to buy has actually gotten quite expensive or rich. 
our advice to investors is be disciplined, be careful. We've seen this many times before. Um, when the market isn't giving you valuation, there's a tendency on the part of investors to try to stretch, stretch out of their comfort zone, stretch longer in duration, down in quality, take on more um, price sensitivity, more cash flow sensitivity, if mm -hmm. you're talking so about So more market. risk. More risk. Right, yeah. But are you being paid to take those risks? Right. And we think that patience will be rewarded and that we're at a point where we need to, you know, carefully manage the risk because there will be another catalyst and another time where um, there will be more compelling value. So those, but that's again where you do that valuation. We're constantly right. doing the valuation consideration. And then in the total portfolio context, you know, it's like we're allocating one of, one of our um, research director calls it loading the dishwasher. Mm -hmm. You know, how, <laughs> how we, what's the optimal mix to uh -huh. get the, you know, to get the best results. And um, so we're constantly looking at that. What's the state of corporate indebtedness at this point? You know, corporate America, it's interesting because the fundamentals are actually pretty good. And our right. thesis is this. There's, there's a number of market players who talk about the, you know, the storyline is all the leverage that's been put on corporate balance sheets. They yes. issued all these bonds. You know, their credit ratings have dropped to triple B. Now the investment grade credit market is nearly half as triple B rated credits. We take um, a different point of view. We think that most companies targeted the triple B credit rating and they were very purposeful and they looked at, you know, the entire capital structure. Right, um, for financing for themselves. For financing yeah. and decided that, you know, with low interest rates, this was very a very cost-effective way, you know, for them to manage their capital structure. Uh -huh. And so, so um, and, you know, we have tested that with a, a number of companies, including some, some clients who fall into that realm. And, and they said, that's exactly what we did. Uh-huh. They um, did it intentionally. It wasn't that their credits had dropped, their credit ratings had dropped. You explain to me how that worked. Cause... Yeah, so they, they purposely leveraged up their balance sheet to right. drive more earnings per share growth or available for acquisitions mm -hmm. um, to drive higher earnings per share growth. So the key for us is that this thesis holds and that they can hold on to that investment-grade credit rating. Uh -huh. that they can maintain the triple B rating. It may be that they'll go from a high triple B into the next recession, mid triple B, but that they have the, le we, we call it the levers that they can pull. So what, what do I mean by that? You know, they have, um, can they sell assets? Mm -hmm. Can they cut capital expenditures? Can they cut dividends if they have to. Can they cut back or eliminate share buybacks? You know, in, in order to make the payments on those bonds, right? Uh, to if, hold, if we go right. into a recession or something? Correct, yep. correct. And so are they um, respectful of the bondholders' interests? And maintain, we always say triple B is, is the, the, the credit rating where 
shareholders and bondholders can live in harmony together. And you know, having management teams that um, are cognizant of that and the importance of the credit rating and staying investment grade rated is, is an important element. So That is such an important differentiator of how you at Baird are looking at the kind of almost an explosion in triple B credits, which is borderline investment grade. Um, and, uh, and so many other bond managers are saying that it's a, it's a very dangerous phenomenon. Just what you were saying, there's so much of it. And if we go into a, a, any sort of a, you know, a downturn, economic downturn, recession, those credits are going to go lower and that all of the punching managers and everything else that have to hold cre- investment grade credit, they're going to have to sell all of these bonds. It's going to be a, a fire sale. It's going to be a bloodbath. And you're saying that it kind of not exactly the opposite, that you're right. looking at companies that can manage a tri- and keep their triple B credits, even if we do go into an economic downturn. Yes. And um, you can't, in our opinion, you cannot paint a brush across okay. the entire sector. Um, it's really individual sectors, individual companies, and individual management teams. And it's both the quantitative evaluation of the credit fundamentals in the business that they're in, as well as the qualitative in terms of their commitment to the bondholders and remaining investment grade rated. There's some sectors where they have a huge incentive to remain investment grade rated. One is the financial intermediaries. If uh-huh. you think about it, you know, they can't do an LBO. So these are banks, these are banks, insurance companies, insurance companies. the you know, the financial intermediaries. Why? Because the regulators won't let them right, do it. Right. They have to hold, you know, a certain amount of capital. If anything, in this last decade, their capital ratios have gone up. Um, and so you look at it and you say there's great alignment of interests between the company and the way it's managed and the bondholders' interests. And so um, we tend to overweight the financials. We're usually about twice the exposure of, of the benchmark or more. Right. And it's because we, we see that very nice tight alignment of interests. So there are certain corners of the bond market, if you will, where we think you know, we are inherently better protected. During the pandemic, uh, and when I, I talked to you prior to this interview, you, you said that basically that you had increased the quality of, of your bond holdings um, during the pandemic. And what are you doing with them now? So we increased the credit exposure in the portfolios. And so those are corporate bonds, credit Right, is, so right, we took bonds. down our treasury positions oh, all right. in March and April, um, but uh, increased our, our credit and actually our mortgage-backed exposure, but we disproportionately did it with higher quality credits initially. Right. So while we, and then our, the other piece of our strategy is as you go down in credit rating, so back to the triple Bs, we own smaller position size mm-hmm. per name. It's a great risk diversifier hmm. without putting too many eggs in one basket, if you will. So, so that's another risk modifier, if you will, that we have found. We can overweight the exposure. We tend to own the exposure short and intermediate 
in the portfolios disproportionately. So, so that's five, uh, five to seven years uh, right. maturity, is that right? Yes, Emma? yep. And so we tend to own more exposure there. It gives us the yield advantage on the portfolios, but we don't take quite as much spread risk by being way out the curve right. um, typically for, for a number of the credits. Plus a number of the credit curves are very flat. And by that, I mean, you don't pick up as you go out in time, you would think that there would be more risk and more uncertainty for those credits. And in many cases, the credit curves are very flat. And huh. we, we think it goes to that demand aspect we talked about earlier, that pension plans, insurance companies, there's so much demand for those longer high quality credits that they keep those spreads or that yield differential tighter than it otherwise would be. Oh, interesting. Explain to us, you know, what you mean by not wanting to be exciting, wanting to be boring, wanting to be sleep insurance. You know, what does that mean and, and why is that a badge of honor? You know, we always remind ourselves every day, what's our purpose? What's our reason for being and what slot? What are we there to do for our mm -hmm. investors? And in what are investors expecting from their bond positions, taxable right. or tax exempt? They're expecting predictability. They're expecting consistency. They expect if the equity market and the markets get very volatile, that that will be where I can go for my mattress money. That's my mm -hmm. store of, of value, if you will. I can lower overall volatility. I can tap that you know, that pool, if I need to, if I'm a foundation to make my grant payments, if I've right. got college tuition to pay for. So, you know, when you think about why people own bonds in the first place, they don't own them for drama or excitement. In fact, rarely does the bond market offer you that. And so what we want to try to do is give our investors a very smooth ride. So the sleep insurance that many, many years ago, a corporate CFO sat and thought I was going to be terribly offended. And I, I laughed. I said, thank you. That's, you know, a huge <laughs> compliment. And to this day, that's how we think about it, that we want to be in our investor base tends to be very long tenured. People put our our portfolios in position. They might flex up or down allocations over time mm -hmm. as you know their circumstances change or as valuation changes. But we tend to be in place for long periods of time. And what we find when you look at our histories, any kind of guide to our future, we deliver benchmark-like returns Right. And a volatility that's in line with benchmarks. Um, and then some. We pay mm -hmm. for ourselves and offset you know, the cost to invest. And there's you know, a little bit more. And then you compound that. And when you right. compound that consistency, you get very highly ranked. It, it's now back into baseball season, right? We're, we're playing baseball again. <laughs> and um, you know, we try to have very high batting averages. We don't try to hit home runs because we don't think we're paid to try to hit home runs in this asset class. And yep. if you think about it, most home run hitters have big strikeout you know, ratios as well. So we're trying to get a lot of singles. 
you know, we'll take a walk. If we get hit by a pitch, you know, if it gets us on base and then run the bases and literally those very high batting averages. And that's, you know, that's how we've always tried to do it. Um, and it works. Mary Ellen, what would your recommendation be for one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio? And I stress in a long-term diversified portfolio. On the long-term, I think, you know, again, depending on your individual objectives, a small cap, you know, well-run, diversified uh, fund is always a good, a good anchor. Smaller companies have the potential to grow at faster rates and should deliver higher returns on invested capital over time. They will have more volatility, of course, but that's where having a uh, experienced manager with a good process, um, I, I think there's plenty of good options out there. Marilyn Stanek, thank you so much for joining us on WealthTrack. Thank you, great to be with you. At the close of every wealth track, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is have some sleep insurance in your portfolio. Mary Ellen Stanek has built it into her core bond funds by owning high quality intermediate term bonds. There are other top rated bond funds like wealth track guest Tom Atterbury's FPA new income fund that has a long track record of protecting both capital and purchasing power by beating inflation. Other guests, including Robert Kessler, own treasury bonds of various maturities. Others just have a stash of cash, what Fairhome Fund's Bruce Berkowitz used to call financial Valium. Whatever your choice, make sure you have enough safe assets to ensure yourself a good night's sleep. On the next Wealth Track, financial thought leader and former PIMCO chief economist Paul McCulley on why massive government spending is vital to recovery and future growth. In this week's extra feature, Mary Ellen Stanek will tell us why and how she kept Baird's offices open during the pandemic. In the meantime, please continue to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.